welcome. Our, our Christian year um, is framed by the themes of weakness and strength. So today is the last Sunday of the year for in the church calendar, in the timing of the church. It's called Christ the King Sunday. It is a reflection on Christ's eternal kingship over the world, all things having been created through him, all things having been restored through him, through his cross and his resurrection. This coming week, starting next Sunday, we enter the season of Advent. It's a season that anticipates and remembers Christ's coming, especially his coming in weakness as an infant, vulnerable to all the things that we are vulnerable to as human beings. So again, our year is framed around weakness and strength. What I want to talk to you about this morning on Christ the King Sunday is the way that Jesus has united strength with weakness. And that this is good news to all of us. You see, we tend to think that strength and weakness are these warring factions within us. Sort of uh, split personalities within us. We like one of these. Strength, anyone? Prefer strength? Who likes to be weak? No takers? But Jesus... In himself, in his kingship, has united harmoniously strength and weakness. And I want to tell you, I want to tell all of us, I want to tell myself that Jesus' willingness to unite strength and weakness is good news because it sets you free. I don't care who you are. There is weakness in you. (laughs) And you don't have to war against that weakness so much as you have to lift it up to the God who wishes to make you strong. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The way that Jesus has joined together strength and weakness. We're mainly going to be in the story from Matthew chapter 25 starting in verse 31. It's not difficult in this story to see the ways that Jesus is, go- is very strong and has great strength. Our story opens with saying that when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Twice we hear of His glory Glory in the Bible means weight. The word, I love the Hebrew word. I'm gonna, you're going to learn some Hebrew this morning. Kabod. Can you say kabod? Kabod. It means simply weight. There's a story of a man named Eli in the book of Samuel. And it says that he is very heavy because he's been eating too many of the rich sacrifices that people would bring to the temple. And he got fat because of it. He was kabod. And he was so kabod that he fell over and broke his neck and died. It's a little bit funny. Okay, it's dark humor. It's all right. Kabod, glory. 
Jesus, in his return, has glory about him, weight, and authority. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Notice what's happening here. Jesus is coming, and immediately when he comes, this is a prophecy about the end of time. Immediately when he comes, all peoples will be gathered before him. Think about the world right now in its chaos. All peoples warring against each other. But somehow, when Jesus returns, all peoples will be gathered before him immediately. And then he will begin to separate them. Some on the right, some on the left. Think about how confusing and chaotic the world is right now. How difficult it is for many of us to discern right from wrong in many situations. But somehow when Jesus returns, he will cut through all the muddle of the, in the chaos of the world. And there will be this great clarity. People will be gathered around him, all peoples. And they will immediately divide, be divided the right to the right and to the left. And there's no special pleading. Wait a second, wait a second. No. It happens immediately. Because he has all authority and power. It's this moment of great clarity and order coming into the chaos of the world. I love what one author says about this. I want to share this quote with you. He says, all of creation suddenly crystallizes in a new formation around the word. In whom and through whom the universe came to be. I want to share that with you one more time. All of creation suddenly crystallizes in a new formation around the word in whom and through whom the universe came to be. When I reflect on this, I, there are several images that come to mind. One is uh, growing up as a child. There were moments when mom or dad spoke and all of creation suddenly crystallized, <laughs> right? Around the one through whom and for whom we came to be. That's an exaggeration. But in a sense, there's a, there's a little bit of truth in that. Can, can't we all think of growing up in a home and when all things were in chaos, suddenly someone spoke and there was clarity. Stop what you're doing. Listen. Another image is sort of a military image. When a commander speaks, there is an order that comes. People organize themselves into particular formations. They give attention where attention is due, right? The most beautiful image I think of is a wedding, though. Have you ever been in a wedding when there was a wedding coordinator who knew what to do? There were warring factions. We would like to do this. We would like to do this. And all of a sudden, that coordinator stepped in and said, listen. And they brought order. 
They brought clarity. They had a sense of authority, of weight, and of gravity in what they said. When the Lord Jesus returns in all his strength and in all his power, there will be an order and a clarity that is brought into the world. No longer will there, will there be doubts and arguments about who God is. I know that some of you are struggling with that. All of us struggle with that at different points. But I want to encourage you that there will be a day when there will be no more questions. All of creation will suddenly crystallize around the word in whom and through whom the universe came to be. Jesus is full of strength. He is full of power. He knows all things. And he can do all things. There is no question here about Jesus' power. He is full of strength. But at the same time, Jesus has united himself with weakness. You notice in this story the basis of his judgment that he executes on people. It was, it was in our story. Jesus will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Even the righteous are surprised by this. When was it that we did this and we actually did it to you? We didn't know it was you. Jesus tells them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. There are a couple of questions in this that I, I would like us to reflect on. One, who are these people who have become so weak? They've been imprisoned. They've been without clothing. They've been hungry. They've been thirsty. Who are these people that Jesus has united himself with to this degree that he can say, when you did it to them, you did it to me? It can be easy for us to interpret this as simply some call to serve the poor, which is a wonderful thing. But is that all that this passage is talking about? When Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is talking about a particular group of people. When Jesus uses the word brothers, he's using familial language in the ancient world. It's a familial language that can speak to men or women, but it is people that have been made his family. Jesus uses this language in another place that maybe you will recall. There's a moment where his mom and some other family members, blood relatives, are looking for him and they think Jesus has lost his mind. 
They go and they find him. They send people. He has these crowds gathered around him. They can't even get to him. So they send people to tell him, we want to talk to you. So they get to Jesus, these messengers, and they say, hey, your mom and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? My mother and my brothers are those who do the will of God. You see, Jesus has made us his family when we're willing to be joined with him and follow him in serving the Father. So when he uses this language here, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is speaking specifically about those people whose willingness to follow him has cost them greatly in the world. It's people who, because of following Jesus, they've actually lost income. They don't have food to eat or clothing. They're they're joining their suffering to Jesus himself. It's not just a simple poverty, which is something that we should care about. Absolutely. But that's not all that's going on here. This is people who, because of their relationship to Jesus, they have gone without in some way. And Jesus is saying, when you did it for those, you did it for me. I I want you to make sure that we all catch this, that there's a reminder in this passage that if you want to follow the Lord Jesus, Jesus says that you must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow Jesus, there is always some sense of cost related to that. The Apostle Paul also speaks very clearly about this. All those who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, this is not something that you need to go searching for. We don't need to get crazy about it, talking about it and claiming persecution all the time. It's simply to say that if you wish to truly follow the Lord Jesus in the world, even if you're an American, you will suffer in some way. It, It may not be death. But there, may some, there will be some persecution, some, something that goes with that, some, some loss that goes with that. So that's one thing here. Who are these brothers with whom Jesus is identifying? It's those who have become his family by following him and doing the will of God. And in some way they have suffered because of that. Another question I want us to think about is this. When Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How much does he really mean that? Is this just a way of speaking, sort of metaphor? In spirit, you did it for me. Or does Jesus mean something more literal than that? What I want to challenge all of us with is that we need to be willing to go as far as Jesus goes in saying this. You see, Jesus is willing, if we will come to him in faith and we will follow him, to unite us with himself so closely that he will say that when it is done for you, it is done for me. 
He is identifying himself with us. He is fusing his own identity with our identity to the extent that we become him. You know, the only other place that this sort of language is used is when Jesus does, introduces the supper that we'll celebrate later in our service. When Jesus lifts up bread and wine, he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And when Jesus says this, we know that the early Christians believed that in some sense, Jesus was saying, not just metaphor, but that when we take that bread and take that wine, Jesus is truly there in a mysterious way. And what we are challenged to believe in this is that if you are following the Lord Jesus or you're serving others who follow him, that you're connecting with Jesus himself. His real, literal presence. Jesus has fused himself with weakness. And when when you serve others in their weakness, when you yourself become weak, you are fused with Jesus. Isn't that a mysterious and beautiful thing? Now, Jesus has made himself both strong and weak. And this is not just a temporary scenario. I want to close by going to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are two ways in which Jesus' strength and weakness have been fused together into eternity. One is this. Jesus, when he issues his judgment over all humanity... I want you to picture this. We're told that Jesus, that the marks of his crucifixion will be there even in heaven. So the one who issues his judgment of, of against humanity will do so with a nail-pierced hand. The marks of his weakness last into eternity. But there's another way in which Jesus has fused his strength with weakness into eternity. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, where Stella did a beautiful job reading for us. That when all things are subjected to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. I want to make sure you catch the impact of this. Christ himself, equal in power with the Father, in eternity will submit himself to the Father. Jesus, through all eternity, will take on a sense of submission. You could call it weakness in reference to the Father. You see, we struggle in our world right now, especially in that we believe that equality is so important that if anyone serves a lower purpose or does not have the same as another person, then somehow we might see that as unequal. 
But this is not the way in the Godhead. There's no fighting and friction about one person having one role or one person having another. There is equality and yet a willingness in that equality to submit to one another. Jesus to the Father. Into eternity, Jesus has fused strength and weakness. And this is a beautiful thing. And a necessary thing. You see what we hear in one of our other passages. Is that if we have a strength that is unwilling to become weak. It becomes tyranny and abuse. The image here is in Ezekiel. There are these rams. Who were thrusting and shouldering these other weak rams. And keeping them from getting food. And so the strong rams are becoming weak. While the uh, are becoming fat. While the kabod. Remember that word? Kabod. Okay. They're becoming fat while the other rams are becoming weak. If you have a strength without a willingness to become weak. Then that only becomes a tyranny. And an abuse. Some of you have a natural kind of strength. Many of us have a natural kind of strength. But if you're not willing to take on weakness. If you're not willing to humble yourself. You will only hurt and abuse others. The church has done this in awful ways. And needs to continually repent. Receive the Lord's forgiveness. And make that right. But I want to challenge all of you. And I want to challenge especially the men. It is good to be strong. But you must also fuse your strength with weakness. Now on the other side of this. Weakness without strength. It is only victimhood. If you live into weakness. And only weakness. You will only see yourself as a victim. And this is why it is so important that we realize what the Lord Jesus has done for us. That He, the truly strong and righteous one, made Himself a victim. He lived and He died a death that He did not deserve. He became the true and only victim. But then He rose And he conquered that victimhood. He conquered it by his own resurrection. He conquered sin and he conquered death. So that he might share his strength with you. In all your weakness. He fuses his strength with your weakness. So that you might know what it means to be truly strong. The Lord Jesus. The true king. He is strong, but he has been willing to become weak. And he frees all of us so that we might know what it means to be strong and weak together. I wonder if you are living into the strength of the Lord Jesus. Or if you're settling for weakness in all things. I wonder if you are living into weakness where you need to do that. Humbling yourself, confessing your sins, humbling yourself before others, serving others who need to be served. 
This is Christ the King. He is the true King. He is strong and He is weak. And He has loved you so that you might become strong and weak and a true person as He has been. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.